So if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn to Matthew chapter 2, 12. Matthew chapter 12. This morning, I'm going to represent a scribe living during the reign of Herod. Israel suffered under the rule of this king and from the abuse at the hands of the occupying Roman army. Times were extremely tough. I've created this scribe to help us feel some of the weight of the evil that plagued the Jews at the time and the impact of the events. Well, this man, mythical scribe, uh, grew up with a love for the law and a real mind for it. He followed in his father's footsteps and became a scribe and teacher of the law. However, not being willing to play the political games of the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem, he eventually left that world and took a job in Herod's palace to manage the palace records, care for his collection of ancient scrolls, and during the time off, continue on his own to study the prophets. There was one morning he would never forget. The day the strange caravan arrived in Jerusalem. But I'm going to let him tell you the story. It was nearly noon, and the bakers were just beginning to unload bread at the palace kitchen. I came down to confirm the delivery, check it off my list. Once this was done, a free afternoon stretched in front of me. King Herod was not expected to return until later that evening. They asked me if I'd seen the caravan that arrived today. I hadn't. It was odd, he said. We've seen a lot of Easterners come through here, but not like this. It was a larger-than-normal caravan. It's like a traveling village. There must have been more than a hundred of them. The leaders were dressed in purple and red robes with gold chains around their necks and gold in their turbans. Nothing you would normally travel in. And they were singing and dancing, big smiles on their faces. Not the usual behavior of people coming from the east to trade goods. They caused a major stir. Maybe they mistook their wineskins for water bags, I offered with a shrug. His wife chimed in that a friend of hers got close enough to listen and said they were asking everyone about the king of the Jews who was born recently. They called him the Anointed One. That caught my attention. I questioned her carefully. What did they say exactly? The Anointed One, she said. The term anointed is used in the Hebrew and Aramaic texts of the Torah and the writings and the prophets to talk about the promised king who was to come and deliver Israel again and make her a glorious kingdom, even better than it was in the days of Solomon. You know, David wrote in his Psalms, I have installed God's declaration. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. And Zechariah, one of my favorites, Wrote, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious. Isaiah, of the greatest, greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. And these strangers seem to know something about our Messiah. 
I quickly marked off the delivery and followed our bakers back into the heart of the city. Where is the caravan? They pointed me toward the market. Well, I saw one of the strangers with a small crowd around him. Well, I made my way through and greeted him when I found an opening. Seeing I was dressed in the uniform of my office, he informed me that he and his companions were magi of the Medes. You know, the area of Medes, the Medes were a group of tribes that were around Babylon and north of Babylon. They, together with the Persians, were the ones that came in and conquered Babylon when Nebuchadnezzar was king. And they were the kings after that. The Magi were sort of that priestly group there. Now the Medes, like all those nations, were pagans. And so their um, priests would be a little more like shamans, magicians, astrologers, apothecaries, mathematicians. They did a lot of things combined in one. He asked after the introductions were complete. He looked at me earnestly. Have you seen the one from God? He had a translator. He could speak Aramaic, but he was obviously more comfortable making sure his words were understood. Who exactly are you looking for? The child born king of the Jews, the anointed one. We want to worship him and have found no one who seems to know where he is, or even that he had been born. Well, we have a king, King Herod. He's not a boy, and he's out until this evening. Come with me. I work in the palace. Let us show hospitality to your group. You can stay there. Well, can we meet with this king? He may know where the child is. I'll see about getting you an audience with the king tomorrow, if you wish. After getting the Magi settled in the VIP quarters and the rest of the caravan in the back courtyard, I arranged with the kitchen for me to take my meal with them. That evening, after supper, I asked what they thought, the, why they thought the Messiah had been born. Well, they started talking about one of their great prophets, Belteshazzar, who lived about 500 years ago. Belteshazzar? That's Daniel. I knew the story. And you can read it in the first part of the scroll of Daniel. You see, Judah had been occupied, conquered by the Babylonians. And they didn't occupy the land like a lot of conquering nations would. They, what they did is took all the inhabitants and carted them off to Babylon. They emptied the land so they could resettle with others. And in doing that... King Nebuchadnezzar had all the smartest and brightest young men of Israel, the ones from noble families, the ones that were educated, and he put them all in a training school to become these magicians, sorcerers, astrologers, the advisors to the king, the ones that could bring all these pagan superstitions together and, uh, and tell the king what needed to be done. The term magi includes all these skills that a wise man would need. Daniel, who had been given that Babylonian name of Belteshazzar, and three other Israelite boys excelled in this school. Well, one night, Nebuchadnezzar dreams a dream so that his spirit was completely troubled and he couldn't sleep. 
couldn't understand this nightmare, and it had a grip on him. So he commanded that all the magicians, enchanters, and sorcerers be summoned up to tell the king his dreams. When they came in and stood before the king, he said, I had a dream and I'm having trouble understanding it. Well, a group of Chaldeans said to the king, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will reveal its interpretation. The king cocked a weary, wary eye at the Chaldeans. This is a public decree. If you do not tell me both the dream and the interpretation, then you will be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid to ruins. But if you do tell me the dream and its interpretation, you'll receive gifts from me, rewards and great honor. They tried again to get the king to tell his dream. But he was on to them. No, you got to tell me the dream and its interpretation. Well, they were out of tricks. And it put all of us in a bad position. The king became so enraged, he decreed all wise men of Babylon to be executed if this dream could not be told and interpreted. That would include the men in the school. That would include Daniel. Well, the decree was issued, and the wise men were about to be executed. And they were looking for Daniel and his companions to execute them. Then Daniel responded, and the Bible says, with prudence and discretion to the king's chief executioner who had gone out to execute the wise men. And he asked him, why is the decree of the king so urgent? The executioner explained the matter to Daniel. So Daniel went in and requested that the king give him time and he would tell the king the dream and its interpretation. Well, you probably know or can guess the rest of the story. God gave Daniel both the dream and its interpretation. Daniel saved the lives of the whole company of wise men. To say that Nebuchadnezzar was impressed would be a real understatement. The king promoted Daniel, gave him many great gifts, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all wise men in Babylon. We know Daniel's writings came back to us when the captivity ended. When Israel came back, we brought that scroll However, copies must have been made of what he wrote and taught during the years he served in the government of Babylon. The Magi explained that Belteshazzar was the greatest Magi of all. They paid close attention to his teaching and learned all about the Jewish faith and were especially interested in this promised Messiah. They had passed down carefully the knowledge Belteshazzar gave them from generation to generation. He spoke of this coming king who would be king of kings, the great high priest, the savior of all mankind. And they have been continually studying it for close to 500 years. They were paying particular attention, looking for signs of the coming king. They liked figuring numbers, making calculations, studying the sky for any kind of sign. Based on that, they had the idea that it was in their generation that this great messenger from God, this Messiah, was going to come. And so when the light appeared in the sky, well, that was all they needed. That was the signal he was being born. They packed and started on the long journey. But to be honest, 
they were explaining this to the scribe, they were a bit perplexed when they arrived in Jerusalem. We thought we'd be entering a city of celebration. Along the journey, we often talked about how excited the Jews must be about the arrival of their Messiah. We concluded that perhaps the excitement had died down because of the couple of years since the star sighting. But even so, the confusion we faced is just baffling. We've just come to join the party. Look, we understood we were on the sidelines. We were spectators of sorts while God worked with his people, the people who worshiped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But surely their own priests, their own magi, had to be aware of his coming. As it was late, I said goodnight to the Magi, went straight to the scroll collection to reread Daniel, and spotted a passage that I had remembered. Know this and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death. I remember discussions about this passage among the scribes and and teachers of the law. They did not know what to make of it. They worked over it and over it. But these guys were mathematicians. These guys were star watchers. Perhaps they had figured out something we hadn't gotten. You know, these things are... Not easy. Much of what the prophets wrote are almost like riddles. But assuming the sevens are sets of seven years, the timing could work to point out our time period. I don't know. The Magi were the magicians, not, or were the mathematicians, not me. My head's buzzing. After that, I laid my, on my bed a long time before sleep came. The next morning, I heard that Herod was, had come back at night, and he was upset, completely disturbed. What's this news of a king of the Jews? What are they talking about? There's no king but me. And when he heard that, he called all the, all the scribes and chief priests and teachers of the law, and he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. They went went away and came back and said, in Bethlehem, in Judea, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people. Turns out the scribes only knew where he would be born. They had no clue of when. And the Magi seemed to have a grasp on when, but not where. The Magi didn't stay. Herod sent them off to find this king and return with news so that he could go and worship too. Well, I don't know if the Magi were a little more perceptive than Herod thought or not, but you know, they never returned. That's the last I knew of the Magi. But one final note to this story. It wasn't but a few months later that Herod sent out an edict to kill all baby boys. 
in Bethlehem, two years old and under. You know, what do you need Romans for when you have a king as brutal as this? Well, that's the story, what I know of it. And uh, I'll just step out of the scribe role here uh, just to tie some things up. You know, the, uh, we could close out the story by saying, the Magi never returned. The scribe quit his job at the palace. And he met Jesus in Jerusalem 29 years later. Of course, he's fictional, so that didn't really happen. Thought it was fitting, though. Uh, Just as we step back for a moment, you know, there was fiction here, but uh, just to confirm what is true isn't true, as I said, the scribe is fictional, but Daniel was in Babylon, and the events in Babylon took place uh, as it was was said. Uh, He was the head of the Magi, and the book of Daniel was written. What we don't know is that the Magi used Daniel 9 to figure out when the Messiah was coming. We don't know if the Magi, this generation of Magi, had read Daniel or even talked about him. But, you know, some of that makes sense. makes sense to me, and so I put it in there. But in some way, they had determined that this was the time that the Christ would be born. Well, God did send Daniel the prophet to live his whole life in a foreign country, in Babylon, and bring the light of the knowledge of his salvation to these magi and the Medes. God then sent a literal light in the stars to bring the magi back to Jerusalem to worship and announce the coming Messiah. You know, Daniel's mission was much like Joseph's. He was sold into slavery into Egypt so, so that God could first protect Israel and then redeem them and bring them back as a nation to the land He promised them. God is not restricted in His ability to accomplish His work. He took Joseph and Mary and moved them down to Bethlehem in order to have the child by using uh, the Roman census to do that, which also got them back out of Bethlehem before they could be affected by the decree from Herod. Elsewhere, you can also read that God sent them down to Egypt for several years until Herod was dead. God's work is salvation, and He wants to bring that to us today. We think of salvation as the initial work of God in rescuing us from fallenness, giving us His Spirit and bringing us into a knowledge of Himself. But salvation is ongoing. There are so many ways God is continuing to bring life into the dark and dead parts of our lives and bringing us into the freedom from death, sin, and fear. If God can bring His light to the Medes through Daniel and arrange for Joseph to travel to the city of his father, Bethlehem, He will work in your life to bring love, joy, peace, all those things.